Welcome to What Do You Think? I'm Al. I'm C. And this is probably going to be our most depressing episode ever. It, it really is, Al. You know, I was trying to think if we've done anything sadder. and um, Not just I sadder. Think... It's just, like, grotesque. Honestly. Yeah. Honestly. Because it's, it's not even, like, prior to this, I think we'd both agreed that our most serious episode was on Till. But Till had such a different story to tell that you you, you see... You, they're not the same movie and we're not going to suggest there's any comparison. Ultimately with Till though, you know, like the, the crime notwithstanding the film actually is, is about empowering those who are, you know, oppressed. And Mm -hmm. this, this film we're about to talk about does the same thing. But I, I think the way Till approached the inherent violence of that particular crime that it was portraying Mm -hmm. and the way this movie portrays the after effects of violence, you know, it's just, it leaves it to your imagination Mm -hmm. more so than Till does because eventually Till has to reveal what happened to the poor boy. Mm -hmm. In this movie, we, all we just see is the grisly, like, like aftermath. And it's just, and then, you know, with, with the great acting all around, it's just, it makes it for like, like, let, let me just tell you, folks, C and I did not leave this movie like smiling and laughing. No. I think I think when it was over, the first thing I said was like, what the fuck? I thought you said, fuck that shit. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I, yeah, I did say fuck that shit. <laughs> and folks, the, the film we're talking about is uh, uh, Oscar nominated Sarah Pauly's uh, feature, Women Talking. Yes. Uh, this movie has been nominated i believe two oscars for two oscars best picture and best uh adapted screenplay best adapted screenplay so again this is kind of so when we heard the nominations c and i were like well it's still out in theaters let's catch it Mm -hmm. and (laughs) funny we caught it all right (laughs) well we caught it all right sorry funny funny enough we well at least i can't speak for c but i've seen i'd seen the trailer for women talking and folks, let me just tell you, the trailer does not set up for the trauma for the for the trauma you're about to see these women experience. It's woo. so yeah. uh, what's women talking about? <laughs> oh, sorry. Anytime I laugh, it's uncomfortable laughter. I'm not laughing at the movie. Let me all just be clear. All right. So here's the official synopsis or the official logline of the movie. Do nothing, stay and fight, or leave. In 2010, the women of an isolated religious community grapple with reconciling a brutal reality with their faith. Again, like the trailer, the the logline, the synopsis, the plot is being intentionally vague over what's going on. So without getting into the grisly details... Um, well, first, first, let me begin with this. the The film is based on a book written by, oh gosh, I'm I'm gonna blank on her name. It's a Canadian uh, novelist, uh, Miriam Miriam Taze. Miriam Taze. I don't think she's related to hockey superstar Jonathan Taze, but Miriam Taze, and she based her novel on these very this very real crime that happened in a Mennonite community in Bolivia, actually like in an island or peninsula that was in Bolivia. So so folks, not, not to give a history lesson, but uh, a lot of religious communities, especially very orthodox religious communities, you know, they like to be isolated. They like to be left alone. They don't really want to interact with the modern world. So you see this trend where in a lot of third world countries, I'm sorry, Bolivia to call you a third world country, you will see populations of these religious communities move in because, hey, there isn't much infrastructure to speak with, to speak of, so they're able to kind of be in their own little bubble and really be left alone. Plus, for a lot of these countries, these communities often buy large pieces of land they're not really interested in using, usually. Exactly. So they're more than happy to let them do their thing and pay money. Yeah, exactly. So usually these are, you know, the Amish, the Mennonites, uh, ultra Orthodox Jewish communities. Oh, you also Uh, see it with, um, with, uh, 
Jehovah's Witnesses. As oh well. yeah, Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, it's it's uh, it's uh, you know it's it, it's pretty prevalent in, across all types of faiths. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Um, how, how, how I know, I know, I know. So let's let's just say that. Let let me ask well, you well, a question. Let me let me oh, yeah. let me let me just at least try to explain like what it is. Oh, is yeah. that there were the, the so the colony in in Bolivia was called the Manitoba Colony. Um, oh, you're talking about the true story first. The true story, yes. Okay. Yes. So so basically, in this Mennonite colony between 2005 and 2009. Uh, over a hundred women and girls of the community were 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 victims of sex crimes. That they were pretty much knocked out with some sort of tranquilizer, and when they would wake up, they would find that they were raped. And this this happened for four years, and eventually the 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 perpetrators were caught by the actual by the actual community Mennonite community itself it turned mm-hmm. out to be around eight men mm-hmm. um turned out to be about eight men who basically had gone together with the local doctor of the community and retrofitted cow tranquilizer as a way to knock women out and 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 rape them mm-hmm. uh this Basically, when the story came out, it was, I mean, it was one of those things where, like, people who heard about it were horrified. And Miriam Taze, who the author of Women Talking, when she when she read about these crimes, you know, she was in Canada. She had left the Canadian Mennonite community when she was young. She was inspired. Well, inspired is not. I feel. I don't feel like inspired was the she right. She felt. Uh, she felt compelled to. She felt compelled to write women talking, which is basically this scenario that if this particular men, if a particular Mennonite community went through this trauma, and the women had to decide, do they want to? So, so, so basically, in the in the Mennonite faith, there are pacifists, and they have to forgive everyone who does them wrong. Right. And what Miriam Taze wanted to do was create a she herself says a fiction created by by women to see what would happen if the women who were victims of this horrible crime decided we are going to decide whether we want to forgive these animals who did this to us, whether we want to whether we want to stay in our community and Fight against these animals and these these men who want us to forgive them because of our faith, or do we just want to upend our our ourselves and leave? You know, and that that's basically what the novel is about, and by extension, that's what this movie's about. Uh, so yeah, um, for those who are interested in following the Manitoba Colony uh, serial rape case, uh, all men were tried in 2011 by the Bolivian government. And one is currently at large, but all of them are currently serving. There's 25 years. That's the maximum sentence is like 25 years in prison. And then they're still looking for the one guy who escaped. So at the very least in the actual crime that this novel is based on, those men, even though for me personally, I think they deserve more than 25 years in prison, a lot mm-hmm. more. Yeah. They, there was justice served there. For nearly all of them. And I hope, and obviously we hope that last one is either in hell or will be captured. Yeah. Um, So, so yeah, just, I just feel like at the very least, as we talk about this movie, we give you some light that, Mm -hmm. you know, because the worst thing is hearing that this is based on a true story. Yeah. You're like, that is horrible. But at least know that like there was some form of justice served. Yeah, and because the thing is, I actually wish I would have known that justice was served before seeing this. Because even though, like, going in, we both knew this was based on a true story. Because it was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. And and the trailer tells you. Yeah, the trailer tells you. Knowing that still didn't prepare us for what we saw. Yeah. That's, And that does speak to some of the film's power, but we'll get into that later. Uh, Yeah, so the... 
one other thing before we we start with our review is that one of the big changes that Miriam Tays made is that she has the the Mennonites in her book be Mennonites in Canada, I believe. And then Sarah Polly, who adapted it, she basically changed it to Mennonites in either rural Ohio or rural Pennsylvania. And in the book, it doesn't it or no. I thought it takes place like in the book, it takes place in the eighties, or am I wrong about that? Uh I think or not quite modern day. Um, or maybe I'm wrong. I can be wrong. No, no, it takes place like contemporary, like, like, uh, like between two thousand, like around the late two thousands is when okay. the book takes place. Yeah, gotcha. in fact, it's explicit. the 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 events happen in June of twenty nine of two thousand nine. <laughs> so, and for anyone who wants to read the book, um, it's. Also called Women Talking, a novel by Miriam Taze. Taze is spelled T-O-E-W-S. So, yeah, and uh, Sarah Polly changes it to taking place in in either rural Ohio. We know it's in the United States. Mm -hmm. There's a scene that explicitly confirms that reveals it it takes place in the United States. Mm -hmm. So uh, before we get into our review, see, um, honestly, I can't think of a good question (laughs) to to start us off, I guess. You can either I, you can either talk about your your relation with your relationship with Sarah Polly and her films, or you want to talk about Mennonites in general. It's up to so you. I <laughs> okay. Um, let me ask you a question. Now that you've seen the movie, what do you think about it's not it getting nominated for Best Picture and Best Adapted Screenplay? Well. <sighs> I'm not surprised. Honestly, I'm not surprised. Do you think, let me ask you this. Do you think there's a best act supporting or lead actress nomination in there that was snubbed? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But, but, but this year has been so filled with like great, like for, for God's sakes. And there are um, bigger snubs this year. Yeah. 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 Which the, we'll get into in our, in our actual yeah, episode about yeah. that. Um, but I particularly really enjoyed, uh, uh, Claire Foy's performance in this, but we'll we'll get into that. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm gl- look. If anything, I'm glad she's back as an actress. Let oh, me be yeah. clear. Yeah. This, not that I listen through no fault of her own. She was in some a movie that wasn't so great. This was not her fault because you can't even blame her for saying yes to it. And then she immediately gets cast in another film as a very easy supporting role that isn't very challenging and i was just happy to see her in a role that really was worth her abilities and this really was worth her abilities Mm -hmm. i i gotta say that one of the things about about this movie that kind of sticks with me was so i in my childhood i interacted with a mennonite community um, you know, they they lived like a few counties over, actually, no, the, just the county over. And it was always a very mysterious thing because I always wondered like, well, you know, I go to church, like, because you would ask them like, why do you do this? Why do you do that? Oh, because, you know, my faith, because God tells us to. And I'm like, well, I go to church and I, uh, my preacher never says God tells us to do the things you're doing. And really, truly, it was my exposure to Mennonites that really showed me that wow there is a there is a ton of variation between different uh, religious faiths mm-hmm. so i was always, I was always you I was see always people that fascinated. take just a few sentences and were and run with it yeah i was always really fascinated with them now the the funny thing is and i'm not trying to be distasteful mm-hmm. um i didn't get my first exposure towards how the rest of the culture saw Mennonites until I saw like there was this episode of Dexter's laboratory that <laughs> Dexter uh, like unwittingly goes with like an Amish to like his farmstead. Mm-hmm. And, you know, see, did you ever see that episode? Um, no, I don't think I did, but I do. Okay. Dexter's so, so, a great show. So, so the, the big joke is that the big joke is that like Dexter, obviously he's a boy genius who, who builds technology, he builds his own like lamp 
and the Amish just go crazy and they basically kick him out because he built a lamp. Mm. Um, so that was my first exposure. And, and that's kind of when I realized, oh, Mennonites and Amish, these, these very Orthodox Christian groups uh, who, who isolationist Orthodox Christian groups are, are kind of seen as a walking joke. And it got further, uh, kind of got further reinforced when I saw this rated R sex comedy called Road Trip. I was wondering if you were going to bring that up. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And it, like, listen, not not to get distasteful, but Road Trip is probably where most millennials learned of Rumpspringa, which is yes. which is where like you know this this thing where Amish or traditional Orthodox Christians, like, in their youth, they like are able to try all the worldly things. And then decide if they want to stay in the world or go back to their communities. And this is actually really fascinating. I was listening to a podcast that talked that like 98, 98 to 95% of those who partake in Rumspringa go back to their communities. Well, if I'm actually, I, I have a little knowledge in that actually. The mm -hmm. reason why is you basically after that, it's usually a year, maybe a little more, where you know you get to have your phone, you get to do whatever you want. And then after a year or so, you have to decide, okay, do you want to be in our world or the other world? And if you choose the other world, you cannot come back. You cannot talk. Now, there are very, what I have since learned is there are various communities that are more or less strict about this, but typically they are more strict about it. So often why they come back is imagine being told, you know, you were now you're 19. You've had a year of fun, but you said, OK, do you want to go on out into the world? But you can never see your mom, dad and siblings again. That's that's a hard thing to do. No, that, that's, you're totally yeah. right. Yeah, you're totally right. But like it, it's fascinating that like like and I know some is urban legend, but some is actually true because I've, I've heard some Internet legends that like, oh, they let you try every drug under the sun. Like, that's not true. Like no, They like, do let them drink on their... They, they let them drink, and they let them drink, and they're, they seem to be fine with... They're obviously fine with tobacco, because yeah. they do tobacco. Even but, the kids, they do tobacco. Yeah, they don't like, see it as a problem. They, 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 I, I do know that they're okay with weed. But I've mm -hmm. always heard, oh, in Rumspringa, they like to try heroin. No, they don't. <laughs> no, <laughs> they don't. They don't do that. But yeah. um, the but, other but, reason I brought it up is there's actually an amazing documentary about Rumspringer called The Devil's Playground. And it tracks these, I think it's two girls and two boys uh, as they go throughout Rumspringer. And you do, it shows not just the actual things they do, but it shows the aftermath. And you, you see the ones that... You see the ones that choose to leave and regret it, and you see the ones that choose to stay and don't, and then the ones that do regret it. It's fascinating. And then you have, it focuses on this one kid who first leaves, but then wants to come back, and then he wants to leave again. And you kind of realize, oh, he isn't prepared for either world because he wants to experience the larger world, but he has no, like, ability to really function in it. But then he goes back home and he wants more, and it was a very fascinating thing to watch in general so yeah um the, there's also uh i believe i've never seen it and i'm really listening to the music of it but apparently there's a broadway play about mennonites it had like it had like uh the chick who was like the lead in uh in glee in it i think yes yes um but later 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 but again kind of that same point was that these orthodox christian isolationist communities were always kind of the butt of jokes uh like later on in in my life i finally saw a movie that at least attempted to to talk about or or present them in a serious way and that was witness starring harrison ford that's a great you know, movie he's a he's a fbi agent who has to like who has to like be undercover and kind of protect this little amish boy and he falls in love with the amish boy's mom played by uh uh uh, the the chick from uh, the chick from Top Gun. Uh, oh yeah, Ginny McGinnis, I think is her name. Gina or yeah. something McGinnis. She's great in that. My God. oh yeah, she's amazing in that. I think she got nominated. For, did she get nominated? I know. I know. Harrison Ford got nominated for his only Best Actor Oscar in that. Yes. Um, and that, but obviously, Witness portrays the as like, kind of shows them as this is a life well worth living. Oh, Witness is also the the debut of Viggo Mortensen as an actor. 
He only speaks German in it, by the way. And he's never mm. the focus of a scene. He's just always in the background. You're like, oh my God, that's Vigo. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but Kind of Witness portrays them as like, this is the life. Who wouldn't want to live this way? You know, Harrison Ford kind of regrets that he can't live his life as an Amish man. But, you know, so yeah, women talking. And listen, folks, if you know of a movie that deals with the Amish, with the Mennonites, with the Anabaptists, if you know of any movie that also is kind of about them or kind of sees things from their point of view, please recommend them to us. Yeah. Let us um, know. But women talking was kind of the first film in a long, long time where I'm like, you know, it's kind of showing presenting the Mennonites in a serious way or presenting the Anabaptists, these, these Christian groups in a serious way. And let's say that what's fascinating about women talking is that it, it presents obviously a disgusting, a, a very inhumane situation that these women are going through, but it only shows it from kind of their perspective, which is the perspective of, of these very faithful Christian pacifist women who are pretty much having an intense theological debate amongst themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's fascinating because, and I think C would agree, uh, and I totally admit that this happened with me. It was really hard for me to get on the movie's wavelength because, like the in, the actual like the 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 actual plot of the movie to me made no sense because I'm like leave. I I kept telling C that in my brain I kept saying leave god's not gonna punish you leave but then there's a moment where you're like you learn something more and you're like oh no kill them okay no yeah 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 kill them and then call the cops afterwards yeah. and it's and what makes this movie such a fascinating thing and i'll go deeper into it with my review is that what sarah Polly does that's so interesting is that she doesn't present this from the point of view of a non-practicing or of someone who doesn't practice that form of, of religion she presents it from the point of view of like of someone it has the the morality of someone who is deep in that that type of faith mm -hmm. right and that's fascinating because the because as an audience member you're if if you're not in that that's like super like that 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 you feel like the movie is like keeping you at an arm's length because you're like I I just can't understand in what logical way would this scenario be even it, it, it would even be toyed with? Like, you're like, you're like, I don't understand why, why you're letting this scenario play out. It, it makes no logical sense. Leave. Mm -hmm. And then as you alluded to, or kill them. <laughs> but again, that's because no, this, this is taking, this is taking the point of view of someone who's in this faith. So mm -hmm. see, do you, do you have anything to add? Um, I think, Anything else I add would be like in depth of my full analysis and review. Okay, so moment. how about we watch the trailer? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so let's let's watch the trailer, and then we'll we'll actually start giving our legitimate reviews. Yep, let's do it. Why does love, the absence of love, the end of love, the need for love, result in so much violence? It was all waiting to happen, before it happened. You could look back and follow the breadcrumbs along the path that led to violence. When we looked back, it had been everywhere. It is a part of our faith to forgive. We would be forced to leave the colonies if we do not forgive these men. None of you will listen to reason. We know that we've not imagined these attacks. We know that we are bruised and terrified. Hope for the unknown is good. It is better than hatred of the familiar. And we cannot endure any more violence. We have been preyed upon like animals. Maybe we should respond like animals. How would you feel if in your entire life 
It never mattered what you thought. And we've liberated ourselves. We will have to ask ourselves who we are. Good trailer, I gotta say. It is. and But I think initially when I saw the trailer, I... You know, it, I was like, okay, I think I have an idea what this movie's about. But when you see the trailer after, that's one thing I need to bring up. We, when we watch these trailers after seeing it, they do usually hold some different meaning. And it is interesting to see that. And in this case, looking at it now, you know, because you know the shots now. And so realizing what some of those shots are referencing now, and in not necessarily the ones that even seem the most... Um, graphic or the most implied graphic there's some there's a very there's a couple very subtle scenes when like a mother is carrying a daughter on her shoulders where you know what's going on and you want to either cry or throw up and you're not sure what is going to happen first so this so here's the thing that both makes this film so fascinating to watch and also just so hard to watch what Sarah Polly does here that it's so, I mean, uh, you know, it's smart. It's very smart is that she does not take any moment to exploit these characters through the trauma and the violence they've gone through. She smartly decides I'm going to create the because here's the thing, like this movie is listed as a drama. But this just convinced me that Sarah Polly can probably handle horror like no one's business. Mm-hmm. We see scenes of the aft of the immediate aftermath of what happened to these women. You know, they're bruised, they're bloodied, you know, they're confused. And Sarah Polly shoots these scenes and frames these scenes in such a way that it just brings up the horror levels to a match. You're horrified over what's going on. You know, we get these very quick flashbacks to you know, these characters going through, go remembering the, the horror that's happened to them, these horrible crimes that's happened to them, these inhumane acts. And you're, it's always, you, you never see something that's, that's graphic, right? You just see the aftermath and it leaves it all to the imagination. And this movie's rated PG-13. I was like, I would not show this to a 13-year-old. <laughs> because no. because the things that happen to them like it's all level of just abominable degenerate but you bullshit. know she made sure that this could pass the rating system to get PG-13 I'm not saying she's trying to get kids to watch it but she knew I knew she wanted you know she wanted this to make this as available for as wide an audience oh, as yeah. possible oh yeah totally and that's not totally. I'm not criticizing her for that I'm saying you can tell that's part of her reasoning the, 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 the thing is is that like the the first two acts of this movie are dark and it literally is just these women just talking amongst themselves over what they're going to do are they going to stay in that colony are they going to leave are they going to like are they going to fight the men over forgiving the criminals like what are they going to do so that's literally what the movie is it's just so basically the 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 setup is is that all the women in the community vote and it's basically a dead heat between staying and fighting the men. Like, well, say, no, really, it's forgiving or leaving, wasn't it? So it's three options. It's yeah. do nothing, which is like you say, like yes, we forgive you, and act like everything's normal. One was stay and say no, we're not forgiving you. Screw you. And the third was leave, just straight up leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, the do nothing doesn't make it to the second round it's a dead heat between leaving or staying and, and fighting mm-hmm. and the women here's the, here's another facet. This is great world building, by the way, the way they show this is that because the women cannot read or write, they basically vote on pictures and they, they can barely count. So, but they vote on pictures and then uh, because, you know, they decide, okay, we're going to leave it up to uh, these women, this group of women from these two different families uh, to to decide whether we leave or we stay. Mm-hmm. And that's basically the setup, right? And 
what what makes what makes this movie like really dark is that this particular group of women they each have a flashback showing like the things that's happened to them there's one that's particularly grotesque yeah, like there's one that's really graphic and it's well it's not even shocking. graphic well, it's not even but it's the way we see it and you're like oh fuck yeah yeah and um obviously one of these women played uh the character's name is ona played by Rooney mara she's pregnant from these rapes yeah. you know and then we have you know claire foy who plays salome and forgive me there there were this is a pretty much an ensemble piece mm -hmm. so if i'm not mistaken ona and uh, honestly it's two groups of women like there's the first generation, second generation, and third generation, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I don't remember who was the sister, who was the mother. I, I do know the two older women were the mothers, Agatha mm -hmm. and Greta. They They're, were, my God, I've, I want to see them in more stuff. They were very good. I, I think, um, oh, okay. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Majal and, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's okay. The, no, yeah. So the the thing is, like, as you're watching the movie, it becomes clear, like, okay, this is this is this family, this is that family, but like, because there are no last names, I'm like, I, I don't know who's who. And then mm -hmm. Frances McDormand plays like this elder woman who doesn't want to leave, mm -hmm. you know. And so her role is kind of more. Of, she produced this, obviously, mm -hmm. but uh, her role is kind of more of like kind of like a bit role. She's not really there. And then taking the minutes for this meeting because again, the women can't read or write. We have Ben Whitshaw as this person, this person who left and came back named August. And he's actually college educated. Mm -hmm. uh, so crazy that this guy went to college, you know, got a degree and was like, you know what? I want to go back to being a Mennonite. Mm -hmm. like, I guess he's that happened. The, he's literally the school teacher. Exactly. Yeah. So this is the situation. And Yeah. It, those first two acts are really dark. Like I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. It's really dark. Mm -hmm. But uh, see, I, I've been talking too much. What 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 thoughts do you have on the movie? So, I think neither of us can deny the power of the in very the very intense moments and the way the film builds to what you know happened and then what you really know happened. And I know that sounds, because I don't want to use what we think happened, because we know what happened. But what we end up learning is it was so much worse. So much worse. And, and so we're not denying that. And we are being vague, because I just, I don't think either of us really want to go into such grotesque detail about the horrors in which these women experienced. But looking at that, and looking at the incredible performances from this ensemble in this, because they were in a barn, basically, having this debate, having this entire ideological, theological debate about what they do now, where their lives go. Um, and without a doubt, that aspect of the movie was great. But I do need to bring up some of the, Grieve, not even grieve, some of the critiques of this film. I think. Oh, oh yeah. It would I, be... Listen, subject matter aside, I do have my critiques on the film. Yeah, and so I think fully acknowledging the film's strengths that we have acknowledged, which are undeniable. Um, some of the issues I had, I ha I just I have to mention um, the cinematography in this film. I really. You do get used to it after a while, but it, and you can tell, you can see the intention behind it. It's it's very muted, for it's me at least. It look actually, you know what it reminded me of? You ever look at a digital image that hasn't been color graded yet? It looked very flat. Yeah, I agree. It looked very flat. But what I more mean is that, so there are certain cameras uh, that are specifically designed to be fully color graded later on. Like they shoot flat so that you can then color grade them and make them pop. Um, one of those cameras, I'm not saying this was shot on this, but one of those is the Black Magic, where it looks incredibly flat until you start color grading it. So the entire cinematography relies on a really good color grader to make it work. And this looked like it wasn't fully color graded, basically. 
So the technical side of me couldn't get that out, couldn't like stop seeing that. Um, despite the fact that it was intentional, I still think it was not the best choice, even though I understand why they did it. Um, the other interesting thing I noticed about the film, and actually someone else who saw this pointed this out, and it didn't detract from the film, but it is an interesting thing to observe. So as you said, Al, these women cannot read and cannot write. And the movie actually does a great way of showing how the women work around that in a really beautiful way. And yet there are moments of the movie where when they're talking, they speak with such literary eloquence that... And let me be clear, I'm not trying to say they need to have a lower level of speaking, but there was such literary excellence in the way they spoke that it made me have to say, but they can't, they've never read a book. How does that work? And I just, that was one little weird thing I noticed. It was just like, they, it didn't, that, that, that continuity didn't quite match. It, 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 the, the film, I, I get what you're saying. The film, and th this is kind of a problem I have with the film as well, is that you know how some plays, like the the, the dialogue is like very literary, but that's the point because it's a play. Mm -hmm. um, there were times where it really felt like I was watching a play. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought this was a play initially. Yeah, no, and it's a straight-up adaptation of the book. There was never a play of this yet. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I mean, the, the, the dialogue is very, very literary, uh, it's very dense. Um, and the thing is, is that you're right. So, so I, I, I think that, that uh, juxtaposition, you know, comes from the fact that like the film is presented in a pretty much straightforward, naturalistic way. Like, you know, there's no heightened sense of, of aesthetic to the film. Like, obviously, the, the cinematography is very muted and, like mm -hmm. C said, almost to its detriment. So it's very naturalistic. And then they they start talking and it just throws you off because, like, like literate or not, most people don't talk like that, you know. And, and I'm not even saying, like, they don't curse. Like, like obviously, like... Mennonites don't curse. Mennonites not, don't curse. That makes sense. We accept sense. that, yeah. That make, it, it's actually kind of funny. The only time the dialogue gets naturalistic is when one of these characters curses and the other one's like, I don't think that's how you're supposed to say it. But the point being is that the, the dialogue is very dense and very literary and it just kind of throws you off because now it doesn't feel like you're watching real people. Mm -hmm. Now it feels like you're watching actors monologuing, which apparently is a big chunk of this movie. It's just actors monologuing. Mm -hmm. And... There, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Obviously, almost every filmed Shakespeare adaptation is literally just actors monologuing. Mm -hmm. but, and plenty of those are great. Yeah, but just the simple fact that the rest of the aesthetic of this movie is to be naturalistic, kind of this fly-in-the-wall type, type way of telling the story... That when they start talking, you're, you're a little thrown off by it. You're like, that, that doesn't make sense. I... I understand. I haven't read the book, so I don't. And but I do know that Miriam Tays is co-writer of the screenplay. So, if that's just how she writes her characters, you know, that's fine. Um, it's just one of those things that I feel like Sarah Polly could have balanced the denseness of the dialogue with the naturalism of of the of the film she was shooting. You know, it feels it feels really real. It feels very real. You know, there's never a heightened sense of aesthetic in this movie, but the moment they open their mouth, it just becomes so literary and so, like, I don't want to say overdramatic, but it does become, like, and dramatic in this, it becomes theatrical, you know? And what I mean by that is not that they're over the top, is that their lines of dialogue comes off as, like, what you would hear an actor on a stage say, mm -hmm. you know? Like, did you ever get a feeling that you felt like they were talking to the camera and not to each other? They, it felt like not even to the camera, it felt like they were talking to an actual audience. Like, it, that's how much, that's how 
much of a play it felt like at times it like i was like oh this this in my head when watching the movie before i before it was i realized it was a book i said okay who got the tony in the play like i not trying to be funny i genuinely thought that i was like okay who got the tony for doing this monologue because clearly this is a play it's sh- it, it's shot like a play where it's very static in one location which on a side note, I always find it interesting that Shakespeare plays are never shot like plays, but a lot of other plays are shot like plays when they adapt into movies. And there are many reasons for that that we won't get into here. But that's just a fun observation I see a lot of the time. But you just have this... There were just certain very intentional creative choices that this movie made that I can't fully get behind, is all I can say. Sure. Now, uh, pretty much all of C's critiques are my critiques as well. Now, now that's some of the things I'm going to laud. I think, so the cast is Rooney Mara as Ona, Claire Foy as Salome, Jesse Buckley as Marish, uh, Judith Ivey as Agatha, uh, Sheila McCarthy as Greta, uh, Kate Hallett as Ojay, Liv McNeil as Nijay. These are a lot of Dutch Germanic types names. Michelle McLeod as Maja, and then Shayela Brown as Helena, and then obviously Ben Whitshaw as August. Um, the here's the thing: the acting is probably some of the most superb acting you're gonna find of 2022, mm-hmm. but especially from Claire Foy and Jesse Buckley. They they are not the lead. Rooney Mara is the lead. Um, but I was always entranced when they were on screen talking amongst themselves, passionately defending their, their point of view and their argument over the situation. And, you know, Jesse Buckley kind of plays the, the more moderate, she kind of takes the more moderate stance of just kind of staying Mm -hmm. or no, no, no. She, she kind of doesn't want to leave and Salome doesn't want to leave either, but she doesn't want to leave because she wants to fuck up the, the monster's up. She wants to fuck him up. She's she's like, I've got a scythe and I'm going to use it. Yeah. And honestly, just just seeing them perform with each other, it, it makes you realize, like, say what you will about Hollywood, but there is no lack of talent. No, there and, isn't. you know, these actresses from across the pond are kicking ass. Now, Rooney Mara, she does really well with what she's given, but let's just say the role is a lot more... Vanilla is not the right word. It's it's not as spicy as those other two roles. Jesse Buckley has a scene uh, where she has to confront her husband, who's known to be a bit of a wife beater. And holy shit. Holy shit. Because she kept downplaying it, the yeah. character. And then, again, it's one of those moments where you see the brutality these men had inflicted on these women. And it yeah. just blows you. It shocks you. Now... Now, my underrated MVP is going to be uh, two. Like, again, Claire Foy and Jesse Buckley are doing the best acting, but Sheila McCarthy as Greta. So Greta's whole deal is that during one of her attacks, she lost her teeth. And she has to have a mouthpiece. She has to use uh, dentures. And, And she, there's a point in the film where she explicitly says, the dentures don't fit. They hurt my mouth. Uh, throughout the entire film, all she does, and, and she's not like uh, obvious about it, but she's always fidgeting her mouthpiece, her 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 dentures. She's always fidgeting with them because they hurt her mouth. Mm-hmm. And it's never it's never in your face. It's never um, it's never very very obvious. But just always in the back of the frame, you just see her kind of putting her mouth her hands in her mouth just to adjust it. And it's it's one of those things where you're like. When she finally does say, like, yeah, this... And, and the other thing about Greta is that she loves her horses. But when she finally turns to one of her daughters and goes, like... It goes, like... feels like they're so uncomfortable. Just her... her She has, like... Goes through, like, this, this wide range of despair. I was like, God damn! This woman can act! Mm-hmm. And then Michelle McLeod. She plays Majel. She's kind of the more... You know, she she's kind of the she she's she's first of all she's a smoker, but also she's kind of the more worldly of the women. She she's the one who goes like I think this is how you use this curse word, right? 
And and for a moment you think, oh, she's um she's kind of the one who's kind of more happy go lucky. And then she has her moment where she has to she has to confront this trauma that she's going through. And you're like, oh no, 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 no. She wasn't being happy go lucky because, you know, she was downplaying what happened. This this is a coping mechanism, and when she has to confront her trauma, she literally has one of the most realistic panic attacks I've ever seen. And the way the rest of the women react to her panic attack, it's it's so alien, but also like you go like, well, yeah, that makes sense. And that's something I got to laud the film for. I I kind of did it earlier, but I have to do it now. This film is this film is always from the point of view of the of this. Anabaptist Christian community, right? So whereas someone like us, the 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 Anabaptist calls us the English, right? The Englishman, right? Mm-hmm. We see their situation, and the first thing that goes through our mind is like, well, for the first thing that went through my mind was like, kill them all, and tell the cops, and say like, oh, they're the bodies, pick them up. Yeah. <laughs> Why? It was, like, Be- it was because- self-defense for years of self-defense. Built yeah. Up. No, they you just. This situ this situation, this scenario is so alien to people who aren't raised in this, right? Because we're like, well, no, no, you know? And then to think like, no, but this movie isn't about showing it from our point of view, from our sense of right and wrong and justice. This movie's from their point of view, right? And I laud Sarah Polly for sticking to that because... It makes it makes the film so much more challenging to watch because there's always that part of your brain, that moral part of your brain that's saying that's saying to yourself, this this is this is too much because who would let who how could they how could they even allow allow the thought to forgive them enter their minds? Mm-hmm. And but it, it just makes it for a much more interesting experience because you know, the, this movie isn't about holding your hand. It's not. Yeah. And I, I loved Sarah Polly for doing this, you know. I wasn't a big fan of of her. Like, not that I hated them, but like, take this waltz was. I was like, okay, sure. Uh, Seth Rogen's getting cucked. Whatever. Um, what did she? She got nominated for another Oscar. What was it for? For writing again. I think it was take this waltz. No, wasn't it was it? not. No, it's. Hold on. She wrote. She didn't win, but hold on. Two seconds. Maybe it was the, mm. was it this was it. Uh, let's see. Take This Waltz was her second movie, right? Yeah. It it was, yeah, it was for her first movie, Away From Her. Okay, that's what it was. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the one with, um, the one with, uh, uh, like the old guy. I think the old guy's dying. Oh, it's a famous, it's about a, it's about a famous writer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like dying or he's like, or he's like crazier or he has Alzheimer's. That's it. He has Alzheimer's. Yeah. But he wrote, he wrote, she wrote that years ago? Yeah, she wrote this back when we were, like, 2006. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Damn. So so she has two nominations for her writing. But, yeah, no, the, the writing, the, the sticking to that point of view, it's very challenging. I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, folks. It's very challenging because you'll always be like, this isn't realistic. No one would even debate this, you know? But, but we're when, not we're not Anabaptists. That and the best way I can describe it is they're literally there's a moment where they're deciding how will we achieve salvation if we don't forgive these men, and you're listening to it and it's so hard to comprehend. Yeah. But then you have to you really have to re and this isn't the fault of the movie. This this is not a ding against the movie at all, but you have to know a little bit about this world. Yeah, I think I think that's gonna what makes like. Like, I think what's going to make this so difficult is, A, just the, the That also that... makes these men even worse. Not just because of all the abuses. They know the society that they... The societal structure that they themselves have built. Well, here, and here's they are the, it, retroactively destroying it. You know, something actually that I find very fascinating about this film. Uh, not to get into too much specifics, but uh, it's only... Like, they even say it's only eight men who did this. But the rest of the men in the community... Tell these women, you must forgive them. We're going to take them. We're taking them to jail, not because they deserve to go to jail, but because if we keep them here, one of you 
crazy women are going to try to commit a sin and try to hurt these men. Crazy, but it's like, wow, she's crazy. And, yeah. And Jesus. they basically said, we're going to, we're going to pay their bail. And when we come back, you guys better settle down and say, we forgive you for your, for your sin. Right. Mm -hmm. All the men who, who go to, to, to pay for the bail are complicit in that, in that injustice. Right. And, what I find so fascinating about this is that this film could easily take a point of view of like, of like, oh, just all the men suck. They're all terrible. But the film obviously is not about being that reductive. The film actually has this very beautiful moment where the women are kind of discussing like the dangers women face, uh, face when confronted with men. And then they realize oh, but some of the people we love the most in the world are our sons. And then they come up with one of the, the first big, like, like philosophical conundrums as they're trying to kind of make a philosophical and theological argument for leaving these men. They think, well, what about our sons? Are, are they complicit in this as well? And Ben Whitshaw has, like... So, so the point of Ben Witcher is he, he's pretty obviously in love with Rooney Mara's character. And it seems like he was just there to like stare at her longingly. But the one time we, he's not thinking about Rooney Mara, he talks about like just the, the beautiful nature that is the, the young man, the boy, and how, and how they are children, but they are men. And... They are, they have all these things about them that can cause them to be destructive, but then all those things is, is what makes them, is, is what makes them, you know, is what makes them strong is what makes them beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it, 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 and through that, these women understand like, oh, oh, these, the men who left, the men who are fine with this are complicit, but our sons who, who are being molded by this, they can still, they can still they can still be molded in the right way. And I just really appreciated that, that, you know, this film, this, this film working, it's working in a point of view that makes no sense to us who are not these Anabaptist fundamentalist Christians, but it also is like, it really is trying to develop how this, how this, you know, this, this very, this way, this philosophical way that they think it's trying to develop them like in all ways, not just being like, well, we're leaving because the men want to hurt us. They're like, no, we're leaving because we're worth something because our creator loves us and leaving does not, is not a sin. And, you know, again, it's, it's something where you're like, it's so much easier just to be like, what they did was wrong. Get out of here. Right. But to but to kind of see how they logic and logic themselves through it, right? And the things they come to understand and the things they want to do, it's like it, it makes it's challenging, but it makes for a very satisfying experience. Mm -hmm. I, I don't I, know if you want to add anything I, to that. See, I agree. I also appreciate that the film made them flawed in some of their approaches with certain things. Oh yeah, um, specifically with how one of the women. So, this is a bit of a spoiler. Fun fact, they decide, yeah, we need to leave. I know that seems obvious to us, but just to be clear. So, they decide they're going to finally leave, and this is towards the end of the movie. And they're trying to figure out, well, who do we take with us? And they're like, okay, our, our kids. And then part of that debate Al was talking about is, well, of what age? And so, they did believe kids... I think they were like, 13 is too old. They were, like, they were really talking about it, trying to figure that out. Um, and there's one woman whose son is a teenager, basically. And she decides to take him along. And there's this interesting moment where you can tell, not through amazing nonverbal communication, that he does not agree to go. And she basically threatens him. <laughs> No, well, yeah, she threatens him, and even, even the, the guy uh, writing down the notes and the minutes of the meeting, he, um, he's shocked by this. And I did love her response. She just went, "He's my son. He's coming with me," and that was it. Like that was, that was that. Like that's, whatever. She... That, that's just a great. 
sample of just like this movie you know you know again it doesn't have that many faults the big one i think is that the dialogue can be a bit too dense when it doesn't need to be but that moment right there is where everything just clicks in together really well it's it that's something any mother would say mm -hmm. like like my mother said that I'm, mm -hmm. I'm guessing your mom said it too. Oh, right? yes. We've all right? been there. And, and then the context behind it and just the incredible performance by the actress. You're like, that was that was really one of my favorite moments in the film. And those were few and far between because I was kind of just grimacing through the whole thing. Um, so, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I guess in order to wrap up, I guess, see, give your final thoughts and then your rating. Sure. Um, I actually struggled to reach a rating with this. Um, I, I was going back and forth between two. And I think the rating I'm willing to give it is a an important movie with performances that fuck. Really fuck. Or really fucking good performances. Uh, originally, I was going to rate this movie as fucked up, but that almost detracts from certain elements. It just it makes it almost come off a certain way that I don't want it to. But this is a... This is a good movie with performances, with fucking good performances. That's that's where I'm at right now. I I have to say that I struggled with this too. Um, it's just that, like, hmm, how, how do I put this? Ultimately, ultimately understand that for a lot of people, the subject matter is just going to make this a very, very hard watch. It just is. You know, there's just some things that there. there's one particular scene that like, no joke, I, I kind of wanted to walk out because I was like, oh, that's what happening. No, nah, I'm not. I'm not. I don't I don't want to see that. There is a moment. Yes. And it, it's because and actually this is to the strength of the movie. It it OK. Everybody knows. I think most people know the gun over the mantle place idea where you put a gun over the mantle place in the third act, in the first act. You have to use it in the third act or you better use it in the third act. Uh, this does a this does that in a very 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 subtle way, that is. But once you connect the dots, you're you're and it you're never disgusted. says it too. It's no. never said. But but it, it's presented in such a way where the dots are connected. You're like, oh that oh, and you really like it's it it's grotesque. Yeah, it, it really is grotesque when, yeah. when you realize what happened. It's grotesque. Yeah, but so for a lot of people, I, I have to say that. Do some research on the film and just see like what, how bad these women had it, to see mm -hmm. if that's something you can you can stomach through because this they, is the they only never... case where you should be spoiled by what exactly happens to them. Yeah, you should know that going in if yeah. you want to see this. Yeah, I think I think because um, you know, listen, a lot of people think, oh, I can stomach a lot of things, but there's and here's the here's the genius of the film. It never shows them. Mm -hmm. There's there's not a the most graphic scene we get in here is one of the women wants to cut up one of the men with a with a scythe scythe but mm -hmm. she I don't even think she gets a chance to no again this it's... movie is rated PG thirteen <laughs> yeah you have to when, remember that but when you see the aftermath of of the rapes when you see them talk about the the crimes that's been committed the horrible actions that's been committed against them. Like, like I'm, I'm telling you, it is, it is hard to even listen to. And then the, again, there's one thing that when you connect the dots, it's, 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 it's an abomination, and it's, it's, you know, that. So there's that. <laughs> um, yeah. That being said, the, like for a lot of, like, for a lot of people. I, I know cinematography doesn't bother a lot of people. It, it does bother me a bit. And I really wish the cinematography wasn't so naturalistic to the point that I'll be honest, it, it kind of, it dulled the image a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. And that takes away from the performances. Now, if, it, if we hadn't seen the trailer, I would have thought something, and I, I don't mean to shit on it this way, but if I hadn't seen the trailer, I would have thought something was wrong. Yeah. That's it, the problem. It's, it's, yeah. It's really dark and dull and gray. Yeah. And, and that to me makes it like, well, Honestly, if I saw this on streaming in my living room, I probably would have enjoyed, well, not enjoyed, I probably would have said the experience of watching it was better than in theaters. Because, mm -hmm. um, yeah, 
uh, that being said, and then the, the, the dialogue can come off as too theatrical, too dense. Um, and that, that just gets you off kilter because it's so naturalistic. The aesthetic is so naturalistic that you, you know what it reminded me of? It, it, it's a big critique I have against Terrence Malick where he shoots things in a very, well, even then he shoots things in a dreamy way. Right. Mm-hmm. And then he has them talk in an even dreamier way. Where you're like, no one talks like that. But then you're like, okay, but he wants to make everything look like a dream. So imagine this looking like, like, um, like kind of, I, I hate to use this word. Think of it kind of like a very cinema verite type deal, but with, with, with like dull grays. Mm-hmm. But then they're talking like a Terrence Malick movie, almost. Mm-hmm. It, it's not, off- not, not, they're not that dreamy. Yeah. But close, yeah. but close, right? Um, I call this a a very very challenging movie. This is a very challenging movie. Um, I know I'm being biased because you know I I I'm I may be putting a bit too much stock on the visuals, but I I think it's challenging, regardless of the visuals because of the subject matter. And because of how of, of the smart way it uses to show what happened to these women um, with with fucking great performances. The performances are amazing. The, 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 this is just nonstop reels of like of like these actresses just showing that they should they should be considered some of the best actresses of their generation. I think I think Jesse Buckley is already being considered one of the best actresses of her generation. And Claire Foy is showing people that, hey, I should be getting a lot more work, motherfuckers. I really should. <laughs> she she is showing that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's been our review for women talking. Uh Two guy, two men talking about women talking. I know talking. that's so. Uh, yeah, I was like, do we? Do I mention that? It's like, yes, it's two dudes talking about women talking. Listen, but, um, but you know what? Yeah, you know what? It's always good when you have challenging films playing. Oh, hundred percent. You know, because for too much, we we can be stuck in like, like, oh, like I'm not joking. I'm not joking when I said this. It's crazy that in 2022, a movie. A year with a lot of good horror movies. I really think that the horror element of this movie has been the most effective to me. Like, it, like I go back between that and Till, to be honest. But that's just me. See, because because here's the thing: there are some things in here that I was horrified at. I was like, this this freaks me the fuck out. So so, listen, Sarah Polly. Do a horror film because she, you got she's the got, chops. She's got one in her, and she's she's been in actually a really intense sort of body horror movie. Oh the, yeah, um, nobody, Splice. Uh, Splice. Yeah. Oh god. Yeah. So she she's very familiar with that world. One, we know one, that. One final thing I want to add, man. Sarah Polly should be talked about more as like one of those actors who made a successful transition to being a filmmaker. She hundred like, percent did. Like her last big thing was. Was I? Was it Splice? It was acting wise, yes. As far as yeah. I know, there I, may have been something else. I'm I, not aware I remember of, she was in, she was in this underrated uh, Jared Leto movie called uh, Mr. Nobody. Yes, and she's, uh, she's and you know what? Because the whole oh, thing and is she's like the he's lead in, in Dawn of the Dead. Yes, but she's in. So it. Oh, that's right. But in Mr. And, Nobody, and she was the leading Nobody. Go too. I don't know if you do you remember Go. I remember it. Never saw it. Uh, but yeah, her last big thing was Splice. Yeah. And that that's a I remember that when that movie came out it was hard to find cuz a lot of a lot of towns didn't want it playing. But yeah. that's all of the story. But but the the thing is is that she's never talked enough about those actors who became a successful filmmaker. And by all accounts she's very successful. She's all all her films are very critically acclaimed. Like I I know I earlier joked about Take This Waltz, but like she made Seth Rogen into a legitimate actor. I know a lot of people want to say, oh, it was funny people. Like, no, no, no. Funny people was Seth Rogen being Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen's first, like, actual acting role was, was, was Take This Waltz with Michelle Williams. Mm. Um, yeah, I think, listen, I think Sarah Polly, like, listen, everyone always raves about Greta Gerwig, and for good reason. She's, she's a great filmmaker. But Sarah Polly, like, if, if people ask me, like, like, recommend me a movie from a, from a, 
female filmmaker, I'm going to be like, you need to see women talking. It's one of the most challenging things I saw all year. And she knocked it out of the park. I have my quibbles with the cinematography and the dialogue, but I, you know, I got to say, she's going to be a name I look out for when she does other projects. Because now after this, she's going to, she's going to get the offer to do something. And if she does a horror movie, Oh, I'm interested in Listen, that. she was in Dawn of the Dead, and I'm sure she has still has a good relationship with Zack Snyder. I'm sure he That's can true. be like, oh, this is what I did to enhance uh, my, my horror film. This is something you should consider. She's She's got it in her. I'm, yeah. I've, heard they're, I've actually heard they're still friends, like on a total side Oh, yeah. As Zack Snyder gets along with everybody. That's true. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, Women Talking, a very challenging movie, but one that I think that if you're able to take it, you'll, you'll be very impressed with the acting and just the filmmaking abilities you see there, or the directing but, abilities you see there. I, and I, I do, this is, the pun is not intentional. Make sure everyone watching is genuinely consenting to watching it. Like, this can't be a surprise or a casual movie night pick. Like, if it's what you pick, everyone understands what you're about to fucking watch. Yeah, because it's, again, this is coming from someone who who is able to watch Cronenberg movies without blinking an eye. This is, this, this is a hard yeah. watch. It's a very hard yeah. watch. All right. So this has been What Do You Think? I'm Al. And I'm C. Later. Good night, everybody.